Thank you, sister. Although I didn't still get there, I apologize. Um, that's a wonderful gift to be able to play. I appreciate musical accompaniment and uh, just to be able to change quickly. If any of you younger ones that are here are, are interested in music or are, are maybe doing music but maybe not so keen, I, I urge you to pursue. I urge you to continue. Um, such a blessing to use those gifts that God has clearly given you for him. Can we ask you please at this stage to turn in the scriptures for a scripture reading? Uh, after we have the scripture reading, I'll call upon our brother George to uh, come and give the necessary announcements. We're turning to Luke's gospel in the New Testament and the chapter 15. It is my desire this morning and this evening to study with you this parable of the Lord Jesus regarding the prodigal son. It's a well-known parable. I'm sure to all of you, and even if you're not a regular or you wouldn't class yourself as someone who is very knowledgeable in Bible matters, I am very confident that you have heard the term prodigal. It's a parable that has integrated itself into common everyday language, isn't it? You might have heard Prince Harry being referred to as a prodigal son, one who has gone away, one who seems to be speaking out, saying things, slanderous things against the family and so forth. I'm sure you have your own mind on that. Or perhaps uh, in the world of sport, some player, there's contention, there's arguments, there's falling out and he goes far away fields looking green and then he returns in later years and the prodigal, the newspaper headline says, has returned. The one who fell out has now been reconciled and he's back at the club that he once was in. The, the, the term prodigal, it's, it's known in everyday language. You'll notice, please, that as we read together, you don't read the word prodigal. It's not in the text. Where does it come from then? Well, it actually comes from the word in verse 13, riotous. In the Greek, the basic meaning of the word is not safe. Riotous, dangerous, not safe. This young man went on a pathway that was deadly, dangerous, very, very risky, very, very dangerous. That's what it means to be a prodigal. And I don't know about you, but certainly amongst the parables of our Lord, this one to me has probably the greatest universal appeal. Why do I say that? Well, there are parables obviously of fig trees and so forth, and you may not be very familiar with fig trees or agriculture or even just horticulture and the way things are in that realm. But all of you come from a family. This is a story about a family. Whether you're a son or a daughter, whether you're a mum or a dad, we all come from families. Even if those families are dysfunctional families and broken families, we therefore surely, there's something that resonates with this parable perhaps more than others. 
something intimate, something personal, something we can empathize and identify with simply because we are members of a family. I wonder, is there anybody here and you could honestly say, I come from a family circle where there are no problems, there are no contentions, there are no black sheep, there are no prodigals. I would, I would assume that's very, very unlikely. A whole family circle where none of those things exist. Men and women, let us read, please, verse 1 and 2, and then just into verse 3, simply because I want to, for sake of time, miss out the first part of the parable. It really is one parable. It is one main teaching tool, although it comes in three parts. And I simply want to concentrate on the third part, the prodigal son part. You have the lost sheep at the beginning, you have the lost coin after that, and then you have the lost son. And it's the lost son that I want to focus on. So if you could read with me, please, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then we'll jump down to verse 11 and go to 24. We're not even going to read the full story. The Word of God tells us in Luke 15, verse 1, Then, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, Verse 11, just jump into the verse. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living, prodigal living, if you like. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want or in lack. Some of you from my generation would remember the charity shops, war on want. It just means lack. He began to lack. Oh, he had so little now, having had so much. Verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine or pigs. And he would fain have filled his belly. He was tempted to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Amen. We'll end the reading there, trusting God's blessing on his publicly read word. Thank you, Brother George. As I said earlier, I would like this morning and this evening to focus on this parable. We'll do that, obviously, in two parts. And this morning, I would like to just focus on the prologue to the parable. And what I mean by that is simply those introductory three verses that we read together. And then say something about principles of parable interpretation. I'm, I'm hoping and trusting, perhaps I should have made inquiry, that God's servant who regularly ministers here hasn't just done a series on the prodigal son. You can reassure me of that? And he hasn't just done a series on parables? Amen. Okay, it looks like we're in good ground. I don't know if there's some of the folks that are here this morning, my generation, especially men. Can you think back to a time when you, your will was developing as a young man and your desire for autonomy, self-rule in other words, was growing? And I would say that that's a natural thing. Young people growing up in a home uh, there is an intention there of God that the solitary are put in families and you take over in terms of leading a family and the next generation and so forth. And of course, the church of Jesus Christ is not to be any different. And that transition from childhood into adulthood, that putting away of childish things and coming into adulthood and coming into responsibility, that's supposed to be a mutually agreeable thing, not a destructive and divisive thing. So perhaps at the outset, all of you from my generation and maybe close to that, yes, male and female, maybe, maybe at the outset, can we just pause for a moment and thank God if it's the case, like me, who had those autonomous desires and yet also had a corrupted will, a sinful heart, when I got to the stage of perhaps 17, 18, and I thought parental wisdom and guidance was just interference. And I wanted to break free of that, as it were, just like the prodigal. I would like you and, and encourage you this morning to give thanks to God for his restraining grace that you didn't end up like the prodigal son in this story. I'm thankful to God. Can you see yourself in this story? I can see myself. I can see myself there. I can see myself with the same desires, with the same frustrations, with the same stupidity and ignorance. But somehow, by the restraining grace of God, didn't make the shipwreck that this boy made. I want you to think with me at the outset then, looking at the prologue in verse 1 to 3. Why did the Lord Jesus tell this story? Why? Why did the Lord Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son? Now you might say, well, he wanted to teach obviously the love of God. He wanted to teach that God loves sinners. And that's a very good answer. But I want you to understand that if you're going to correctly interpret a parable, 
Well, you need to correctly interpret what precedes the parable, the context. What is it that triggered this parable in the mind of the Lord Jesus? What is it that initiated it, that sparked this particular story? Well, notice in the first place, under this first subpoint of prologue, notice, please, what was going on in the context. The Bible says here in verse 1, Then drew near unto him. Then drew near unto him. Do you see the scene? There are people drawing near. It just means coming close. There are people coming close to Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you come close to somebody, that would indicate and imply, would it not, that there's not a fear there. It would imply that there's a desire to be in the close proximity of that person. It would imply that those who are approaching Jesus, they're not afraid. And yet, as we continue and learn the characteristics of these people, we would think that was most unusual. It's most uncharacteristic. We would expect these people, once we find out who these people actually are, we'd expect them to be running in the opposite direction. We'd expect them to be avoiding Jesus of Nazareth. And so I would say to you that very from the outset, we understand that there's something not natural going on here. By nature, they should be avoiding Jesus, but they're not. They want to come close. In other words, there's something supernatural going on. There's a magnetic attraction. You can't see magnetism, but you can see the effects. There's some kind of magnetic attraction, some irresistible pull, some drawing going on. I know that the Lord would be doing that today in Caridoff Free Presbyterian Church. Yes, drawing, attracting, bringing by His Spirit. Is He drawing you this morning? Is there a soul here and suddenly I've conscience is pricked because this is exactly what's going on in your heart? It wasn't you of late, but suddenly it is. You want to be in church. You want to come close to Jesus Christ through the Word. It's good to see you in church this morning. Thank you for coming. This is where God has promised to reveal himself more than any other place in his house. I don't know any of you. I, I know some of you as acquaintances, but I don't know you. But I know this, I would get to know you a lot better if I went to your house today. You would know me a lot better if you came to my house today. You would suddenly get to know a bit more about the character that I am. And this is God's house. And this is where he has promised to reveal himself the most through his word. Do you have a desire to come here? and come close and draw nigh to God. The Bible actually commands us, draw nigh to God. James the apostle, in his letter, he said, draw nigh to God, draw near to God, come close to God, like these people. And then there's a beautiful promise attached to that command. And he will draw nigh to you. Do you want to come close to the Lord today, believer? Is it your mind and mindset. I want to get closer to Christ today. I want to know more of him as 
Paul said to the Colossians praying for them, I'm praying for you that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Is that your desire today? I want to know more of the will of God, the will of Jesus Christ, God's will, not particularly in an individual sense, but in general, God's will, God's determinations, God's emotions even, God's heart. I want to get closer. Oh, I can't present to you this morning the literal human being, God, man, Jesus Christ, the second person. I can't do that. But I can present him through the Holy Spirit in the Word. So what's going on? Well, there are these individuals, this group of people, coming near to Jesus. And who are they? Who are these people? Well, the Scripture says they're the publicans and the sinners. Now, there are some younger ones here. Can I just make it plain and clear that a publican in the Scriptures is nothing to do with a pub owner? Today, you would hear, obviously, a lot of talk about pubs, people going to pubs, and the name of the man who owns that is then, therefore, the publican. But that's not what this means. The the meaning of this term, publican, is really public servant of the state. We would say today civil servant. And of course we would particularly identify that, that role in the scripture, this publican role as a tax collector. Someone who was going around the community and collecting taxes for the Romans. The invaders, the foreign power, the colonialists, the enemy. And so when you see the word publican, you're talking about the employees of the invaders. You're talking about people in the eyes of the community and the Jewish community who were helping the enemy. People who were considered traitors, outcasts, despised, marginalized, and shunned. People who were notorious for their greed, for charging the people too much and pocketing the extra themselves. Zacchaeus characters, if you know your story of Zacchaeus, the little man who climbed the tree, and when he came and Christ came to him, and he repented, he said, I'm going to pay back all those people I ripped off fourfold. Parasites, people living off the misery of others in the community. I read a book recently about the Nazi invasion of Jersey and Guernsey, a book called Model Occupation. And in that book it said that the people who helped the Nazis on those islands were forever despised by the rest of the community. Those who took on roles as policemen and so on for the Nazis. They and their families, and even the book said till the day the book was written and published, even till that day, that modern era, still that legacy continued. You were the family. Your father was the one who helped the enemy. That's what was going on in the context. Now, before I go any further, don't want to miss the application point. Do you know any deceitful businessmen in this community? Do you know anybody in this area who you've asked to do a job and they've ripped you off? Do you know any deceitful husbands and wives sons and daughters in this community. Well, tell me, how would you really think? What, what, how, would, how would it really affect you if those people that you knew had personally ripped you off 
came into the meeting this morning? What would your first thought be? What's he doing here? Oh, he's up to something. That, that fellow's a con man. Yeah, he's, he's no good. Couldn't be any good intentions in that man's heart. You see, before we, as it were, look down our pharisaical noses and maybe get ourselves onto some kind of high moral ground, and we know, of course, these publicans and sinners, oh, they're bad news. These are the kind of people, men and women, who are coming close to Jesus. How would you feel if those characters who had personally injured you and personally treated you with deceit came into this meeting this morning? Can you sense the tension in the air? Publicans and sinners. Well, this term sinner, it's an equally derogatory and equivalent term to tax collectors. Tax collectors were thieves. And so this category of sinners would include all such common criminals. But it would even include prostitutes. I can tell that from Luke 7, when the Lord's in a Pharisee's house and the lady there is washing his feet with her hair. And the, and the Pharisee is abhorred. And he says in the scriptures, if this man knew, if he was a prophet, if this man who, if he really was a true prophet, he would know this woman is a sinner. He, he would know the character of this woman. He would know what this woman's been up to. Matthew Henry believes that the term sinner here in verse 1 also includes Gentiles. And I think you can see that from the reference to verse 2. There's certainly a clue there. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're complaining, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. I mean, oh, as if it's not bad enough that he receives them, that he speaks with them, that he acknowledges them and even seems to befriend them. He goes and eats with them in their own houses. How abhorrent. And we understand, do we not, that, you see, the Jewish mentality was that any Gentile, they were dogs. They were like the common dirty dog. You didn't touch them. You didn't eat with them. You would become contaminated if you did, and you couldn't go and worship them. You'd be, you'd be ceremonially contaminated. You can see those things in passages like Acts chapter 10, where Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he says that you know that it's unlawful for me as a Jew to keep company or to come onto one of another nation. He spells it out, but of course, he sees the light. He's had the vision from God, and he knows that's not true. And he doesn't despise these people. And he doesn't look down his Jewish nose at these people. What were the motives of these people? Again, the scripture tells us. They're drawing near, these publicans and sinners. And why? Why are they coming close? Well, the Bible says, to hear him. Verse 1. These people are coming close to Jesus Christ to hear him. These seemingly hopeless individuals, they're attracted by the message of hope in Jesus of Nazareth. Haven't come to hear the latest gossip. They haven't come to get a free meal. They haven't even come to get healed or entertained. They have come to hear Jesus speak. Have you? You come here to hear me? I'm a stranger to you. Oh, a new voice. Never heard him before. Or have you come to hear the word of God? 
Perhaps they'd heard reports of his preaching. If we could, don't have to do it, but if you, if you took the time to look back at Luke chapter 5, you would read those immortal words of Jesus Christ, I came not to call the righteous, the self-righteous, the people who think they don't need me. I didn't come to call them, but I came to call the sinners. Sinners, like these people in Luke 15. Can you see it? Sinners. Sinners. This man, Jesus, says he's coming for us. He's got a message for us. He's got a message of hope for me. And I am a sinner. I have no doubt whatsoever that these people, they would readily have admitted that they were guilty and condemned by the law of God. I would say that they would readily have admitted that their lives were miserable due to sin. These tax collectors, these people hated outcasts, prostitutes. I have no doubt that these people would readily admit that they deserve judgment and damnation in hell. My question to you is, do you? Do you? Would you readily admit those things? Have you a searching heart today? Have you a heart that's awakened to your sin and your guilt? Oh, these are people that understood they needed a doctor. They understood they had a sickness of soul. And they were going to the right person for help. They were going to the great physician, Jesus Christ. What about you? And did you notice how the text says how many of them there were? How many of these publicans and sinners had turned up to hear Jesus? How many of them were drawing close? The Bible says all. Verse 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners. Now we have to have some knowledge of what that word all means. And this is where people get confused in terms of their doctrine. Yes, in their Arminianism or their Calvinism. This idea that all doesn't necessarily mean all without exception, but it does mean all without distinction. But nevertheless, this word clearly indicates there was a lot of publics and sinners. John Gill, the commentator, he says, a very great number of them, even all that were in that place, and in the adjacent cities and towns. All, a massive amount of people. Obviously, word had spread. Did you hear? Did you hear about Matthew the publican? He's, he's a completely changed character. He's following this Jesus of Nazareth, and he's reimbursing all the people that he stole from. Did you hear about Mary the prostitute? Oh, she's left the streets. She's got married, and she's so generous, and she can't stop talking about Jesus. And if people were saying that, and if that kind of conversation was spreading, can't you see how hope is spreading? If Matthew, if it happened to Matthew, if it happened to Mary, then it can happen to me. There's hope for me. If there's hope for him, there's hope for me. Can I just say before I move on to my next point, Surely, if these people, being attracted to Christ and the message of Christ, then in our day and generation, here in Duff, if we live in a Christ-like way, will word not get out? Will people not come to hear Christ from the word? I was listening to a preacher on CD just on the way down this morning and he was referring to Martin Lloyd-Jones 
Martin Lloyd-Jones, who took up a ministry in Wales in a place called Aberavon. And he was making the remark that when Lloyd-Jones went to that place, the first thing he did was he said, no more drama club, no more of these extra activities. We're here to preach Christ and we're going to lift up Christ and by the preaching of Christ and the presentation of Christ and by the church living as it should in holiness, Christ-likeness, that's going to draw sinners to him. History records that sinners came. History records that sinners became converted. Yea, even some of the worst notorious sinners in town. And they came to draw near to Jesus. Men and women, we are here in this day and generation as the church of Jesus Christ to continue the unfinished work of Christ. There's the finished work of Christ on the cross, the atonement that has been paid, the debt that has been cancelled, and then he left his church to finish the unfinished work. There's a work to be done, and we must be the Christ-like people on this earth that draw. Oh, no, I trust we all understand that the, that the correct theology is not to be and live like the world, to be like the world, to somehow attract the world. No, false gospel. We've got to be like Christ. I must go on. I must continue. I want to get to my next point, which is the principles of parable interpretation. I'm trying to set the context, and I hope I have, and I hope in some ways I have correctly colored and painted the picture of tension, tension that's going on. We have the publicans, we have the Pharisees, we have those who are sinners drawing near to Jesus, and we have those who are opposing this. They are adamant that this is incorrect. We have these self-righteous men of the cloth, religious people. God forbid that there's people like that here in this church service this morning. These are people who are regarded in the community, people who are held in esteem and respect, and we forget that. We understand the Pharisees because we have the scriptures. We understand them to be hypocrites in general. But in the day of the people, they were esteemed. And these Pharisees, these people who the Bible tells us out of envy, they sought to kill him. They were jealous of the popularity of Christ. And to try, as it were, to prop up their own self-righteous system, they sought to vilify Christ and attack his teaching. Oh, it's so natural, isn't it? It's such a trait of human nature that when we feel intimidated, we, we seek to put others down that in some perverse way we think we're rising up. And this is the game of the Pharisees. Oh, men and women, don't do that. Don't do that to one another. All believers here this morning, all the believers, you're all part of the same body. You're all united to Christ. But we're, we're, we're not supposed to be, be hurting one another. We're not supposed to be demeaning one another. The eye can't say, as Paul said to the Corinthians, to the hand, I don't need you. You're worthless to me. No, there's an interdependency. Different gifts, different functions, different diversity. No, men and women, these were the Pharisees. These were the people who were opposing the drawing near of sinners. Now, what is the Lord going to do? What is the Lord going to do in this context? Is he going to ignore these Pharisees and sinners who are murmuring, who are piping up, who are speaking forth their discontent at this practice? 
who are seeking to find fault, what's he going to do? Is he going to ignore them? Is he going to dialogue with them? The Bible says he told the story. He told the story. He told a parable. Now, the word parable comes from the Greek para and balo. Para, you know that word, parallel. Right? Since it's transferred in things, it means alongside. And balo is the verb to throw. And so you have this idea of being thrown side by side. A, a, a tool of language to make a comparison, to draw a comparison. Uh, a child might say, if I asked, what's a parable? You might say, well, that's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's a good answer, but there's more to it than that. The Lord responds to this situation by telling a story. Now, I want to make it clear. It's nice to see there's no clock at the back there, <laughs> but I am conscious of the time. And if I don't get through this in the short moment, I'll carry it through into tonight. And I trust you'll stay with me. And I trust you'll come back tonight. And I'm glad I have the luxury to do that. But let me leave you with a few thoughts on the principles of parables, please. Do you remember that when the Lord Jesus began to teach in public, the New Testament tells us that everything was plain and straight. In Matthew 4 we read, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say... Repent, plain and simple. The message of Jesus as he takes the public scene, as he takes the public platform, repent. What does that mean? Change your mind. Do you turn? Change your mind about what? Change your mind about God. Change your mind about yourself and the fact that you're a sinner. In fact, change your mind about everything. Jesus is preaching a radical change. Repent. And it's plain and straight. Do you remember in his manifesto of the kingdom of God, like a politician, seeking to set, set forth before the people at the very commencement of his earthly ministry, the manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, we call it. And he says to the people, and perhaps the Pharisees were in view, perhaps it was that scene near the wailing wall, as we would call it today, and they're running back and forward, the Orthodox Jews, these people like Pharisees, and they seem, from the people's point of view, to be the most holy of holy people, the most righteous of people. And the Lord stands and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I'm sure the people were flabbergasted. What? The people that we esteem the most? The people that to us have all the external trimmings? The people who have all, let's say, the external passion, they're praying and they're preaching and they're, what? Plain and straight, unless you have a righteousness that's greater than them, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. But then there seems to be a change in Christ's methodology. As these people gang up on him, as these people seek to trip him up and seek to find fault in him, then we have these parables beginning to be uh, taught. And why was this? Why did the Lord speak parables? Why did he tell stories? Well, he tells us himself, and I'd like you to turn to Matthew 13, please, just as we finish, to show you yourself. The Lord Jesus answers that question. Why are you teaching in parables? Matthew 13, 
Matthew chapter 13 is the, is the chapter where we have the parable of the sower. And I want you to understand something very clear here. You see in Matthew chapter 13, we'll just start at verse 9. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the end of the parable. And the disciples came and said unto him. You would read over that and you would maybe miss that. But I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus on this occasion, on another occasion, is speaking a parable. And then it says, after he has finished that parable, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10 tells us that the disciples came to him in private, a private audience with Jesus. And they say to him, why are you speaking in parables? Now, please get this. The Lord Jesus told the parable, but he did not explain it. He did not explain it. Otherwise, what's the sense of the disciples' question? Well, why why are you teaching like this? Why are you you telling stories and not explaining the stories? Imagine I come in here this morning and carried off, and I hear some of you arguing about something, and I can pick up the general gist of the debate. And I come into the pulpit, and we sing and we pray, and then I read this story, or I tell my own story, and after I've told the story, I stop, I pronounce the benediction, and I say, you can all go now. You'd all look at me. I say, what's that all about? Does he not know that we called him here to preach? Is he, he just telling a story? What? Do you see it, men and women? Why is the Lord doing this? Why is he telling? Why is he responding to these Pharisees and these scribes and their disdain of the publicans and sinners coming to Jesus? Why is he responding like this? He says himself, Look at what he says in this, in, this, in this passage. He says, and he answered and said unto them, here's the reason I'm teaching like this. Here's the reason I'm telling stories but not explaining them. He says in verse 11, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away. Do you know what that means? It means that the Lord Jesus was teaching in parables because he was saying, I am teaching this way so that I will reveal truth to some and I will actually conceal truth from others. Think very carefully about those words. Lord Jesus says, I am teaching like this so that some people the truth is revealed and some people is concealed. You see, we have this misconception that parables was all about, you know, making it simpler so everybody would understand. It's not true. There were those who were there, the publicans and sinners. There were those who were searching for light. And Jesus said, those who search for light will be given light. But those who reject the light that they've been given, they'll be given darkness in its place. The light will be removed from those that have shall be taken away. Men and women, we cannot lightly dismiss the words of Jesus. We cannot play fast and loose with the teaching of Jesus. The light that you have, you must relish it and you must pursue more light. Those of you who I'm I'm talking now to, those who are not converted here today. It's turned out to be dull. The sun was shining when I came down the road. And you all know that that big ball of flame in 
the universe in, in, in our solar system gives us light. But you also know that if you disrespect that great source of light and you look straight at it, your capacity for light will be taken away. You'll be blinded. The same God who sheds forth his light can easily take that light away. And so I say to you, and I will close with this and we'll take up the theme again later tonight. I say to you here all this morning, dear men and women, the teaching of Jesus, the knowledge of God, it is like light. It takes away darkness and ignorance. And the Lord said, I am teaching like this because there are those here who, who are hungry for truth and light and they will receive. Seek and ye shall find. But he says there are others here and they have light but they despise the light and they reject the light and they reject me and they hate me and they're going to crucify me. Are you going to crucify Christ afresh today? Are you going to walk out and reject the light? Please be careful. By the words of Jesus himself, I am teaching like this because there are some people in the audience, some people in my midst, and they are listening to me tell these stories and they're scratching their heads and they're saying, what is that man on about? What on earth is he talking about? What on earth is that story for? He didn't even bother to explain it. Ah, but there was others, others like the disciples who had hungry hearts, who wanted more light and more knowledge. They said, Lord, Lord, what do you mean? Please explain this, we want to know, we don't get this. God was gracious. Men and women, let's pray to the Lord that the light that he has given us, we fully comprehend it and he gives us more. I will pursue that further tonight. Thank you for listening so well. Oh Lord, we come to thee. We haven't even reached the point at which we um, try to unpack the clear, solid, singular truth that the Lord Jesus was seeking to convey through this parable to those who were longing for the light, to those who wanted to know the light of God, to those who wanted to draw near to Jesus, to those who saw hope in the person and message and work of Jesus. I pray, Lord, each one here would also be in the light, Jesus, the light of the world, and they as those bearers of the light, those who trust in Jesus, becoming bearers of that light, and don't hide our light under the bushel, but seek to transmit that, feeble as it may be, yet reflecting Jesus Christ to a world that is lost. Just like the parable said of the prodigal, this my son was lost, but now he's found. May lost sinners be found today. Thank you for this time in your house. Thank you for your word. Grant everyone a blessing in the afternoon. May lunch, may family get together, be sweet. May the fragrance of Christ be at the dinner tables. And may everyone travel in safety. And now may the grace of God, God the Father, love of Christ, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be the portion of everyone now and eternally, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for your attention. Lord bless you.